Our Old Testament lesson is found in Genesis chapter 19. We will begin reading in verse 15. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was when God destroyed the cities of the valley. God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out in the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. This is the word of the Lord. And let's pray. Father, as we come today, we confess that you are our one true good. In you is life, in you alone there is bounty and wholeness and fullness. And so we ask today that through Lot's example that you would teach us and that you would instruct us about the way of faith and not sight. Write your word upon our hearts. Help us in all of our weakness. And we ask God that you would speak. For your servants are listening. Amen. Our passage once again needs no introduction. Last week we straddled chapters 18 and 19 considering Abraham's intercession for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and we saw the subsequent judgment of that city where God meted out judgment due to the outcry that had reached heaven. God sent angels to the city, and he does so in order to appeal to us in our own human nature, reminding us that when he does exercise judgment, that there's incredible patience, incredible care, and absolute equity that is exercised in any moment like that. This is no capricious God who simply flies off the handle and is upset, but we saw that the outcry that had risen to heaven was clearly investigated, and that the outcry was the... was the abusive and oppressive circumstances that many people inside of this valley of Sodom and Gomorrah were being oppressed with. This week, we return to Genesis 19, 
but we take a different angle on the passage. We're going to specifically consider the character of Lot. We are introduced to Lot all the way back in Genesis 12, and he's somewhat of a shadowy figure who comes in and out of the story, but he features here in a very prominent way. We first met Lot in Genesis 12, where he is introduced to us as the nephew of Abraham. And he journeyed with Abraham out of Ur towards the promised land. Along the way, especially in chapter 13, we begin to see that Lot is a somewhat complicated character. Scripture affirms that Lot is righteous, that is, he is righteous by faith. There was faith in the promise of God that had been given to Abraham and to Abraham's family. But we also see that Lot is a man beset with weaknesses and that he has a tendency to live by sight and not by faith. In chapter 13, a conflict broke out between the herdsmen of Abraham and the herdsmen of Lot. The great irony is that it was the blessing of God, the very thing that God had promised to do for Abraham in the land of promise, that caused a conflict between these two parties. And so Abraham offers to Lot, he says, you go to the the right or to the left, and that was the north or the south from the vantage point on what they were on from which they were looking out on the promised land. But the scripture tells us that Lot lifted up his eyes and he looked and he saw the lush Jordan Valley. And the thing that's important for us to note there is that the Jordan Valley was not to the north or the south. It was to the south and to the east. And we're told that Lot fixed his eyes there and journeyed east. That is, Lot went outside of the land of Canaan, the land of promise, and he went and settled there. It was Lot's rejection of being a pilgrim along with Abraham. And so in certain ways, Lot shares Abraham's faith, but yet in certain ways, he also distances himself from God's promise. And so what's critical for us today is to listen carefully to that story to look at Lot and to look at ourselves in the mirror, to understand and to see the weaknesses that can threaten the life of faith and how these things can accompany us. So in doing so this morning, we have five points. You chide me for three, so I give you more. (laughs) And we'll see here three things about sin and two things about God and his mercy. Let's look at each. First, we see the allure of sin. As mentioned in chapter 13, Abraham parted ways with Lot because of the blessing of God that had been poured out on them that then caused a certain conflict. Lot chose to go to the Jordan Valley outside of Canaan. And in verse 10 in chapter 13, if you turn there with me, you'll see why Lot chose to make this particular decision. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. It was lush. It was filled with life. Lot was drawn to the sight of abundance, and he was pulled towards Sodom. And Genesis 13 says, even as far as Sodom, because it was like the garden of the Lord. 
Interesting in the book of Genesis to receive that particular detail. God's promise to Abraham and to his family is that blessing would come in one particular place, and that was in the land of Canaan, within its boundaries. But Lot went out, and he went out seeking the peace and the prosperity and the wholeness of Eden. But he didn't seek it to where God had assigned his command and his promise. He went out seeking that peace and that prosperity and that wholeness, and he went outside of the place of promise. He goes to the land of the valley of the Jordan, and it was like the garden of the Lord. And friends, what is being indicated to us here is that Lot was lured. He was attracted to something. And what he was attracted to was the appearance of life and prosperity and wholeness, what every human being who's ever been created in the image of God longs for. And Lot wanted it. But Lot's great error and why he was lured into this error was because he went seeking that prosperity and that wholeness outside of the command and the promise of God. He had no permission to go outside of Canaan. He was to remain there. But he lived by sight and not by faith. And friends, this is the threat that challenges us because we too can see prosperity and wholeness and believe it's assigned in certain places and believe we can go chase it down. Lot finds only a mirage and it was empty. And we can believe that there is a good for us outside of God. But what's being contended here in this passage is that there is no good outside of God's command and promise. And the question for us very practically is why do we find that so alluring? Why does it speak to us in that way? And if if you have a Bible, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And it's there that we find the answer to that question of why it is so alluring. And here in Hebrews 11 in the great faith hall of fame, we read about Abraham In verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Oh, excuse me. In verse 9, by faith, when he went, that's speaking of Abraham, by faith, when he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And what's interesting here is that Lot had chosen not to live in the land of Canaan. But Abraham had chosen to live in tents. That was Abraham had embraced the life of a pilgrim. And he was living in light of a future fulfillment. But there was delay. He was living in light of a city that was to come. A promise that was given to him but yet was not fulfilled. And there was suffering and there was difficulty. There was delay. There was the demand of faith. And we've seen that Abraham collapses along the way. But he is waiting for that city to come. And friends, this is why Sodom was alluring to Lot. Because perhaps he could perceive the difficulties of life in Canaan, the life of faith. And this is exactly where The Christian today has to press back against our own self that when we feel that lure and we feel that power and we feel that desire, when we see and think that peace and prosperity lies for us outside the command and the promise of God, 
It's to join with Abraham. It's to bear the cross and say no. It's to trust God and to follow after him. The second thing that we learn is not only about the alluring power uh, nature of sin, but also the complications of sin. In chapter 13, Lot chooses the Jordan Valley. He moved his tent as far as Sodom. But then at the beginning of chapter 19, we learn something interesting, is that he was sitting in the gate of the city. It's easy to miss that detail and what exactly it means. But it means that Lot was a political leader in the city. He was a judge. He was a powerful person. They encountered him in the gate. And so the angels that God sends visit Lot, and Lot virtuously extends them hospitality. This was the great sign of a virtuous man in the ancient Near Eastern world. And that evening, the men of Sodom, young and old, come to Lot's home. And they demand that he turn over those two visitors so that they could use them for their own sport. Earlier in the day, Lot, we're told, had pressed them strongly. That is, these two visitors. He had pressed them to come to his home to stay. He'd encouraged them because he knew the nature of his own city. And he knew what would happen if they stayed in the town square. Uh, he did prevail with them. They came to stay in the home, but he didn't anticipate that his house would be stormed. And they were pressing against the gates. Lot goes out to meet with them to dissuade them from this behavior. And if you follow in verses 7 and 8, you track with Lot's conversation. To his fellow sodomites, he says, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. It's really one of the most complicated passages in all the Bible. Lot, being virtuous, inviting the men under his roof to provide them shelter and care. And then someone making an indecent proposal and demand, coming to the door, demanding that he turn over his guests so that they could abuse them. Lot goes out to meet with them, and he offers his daughters in the place of these men. And friends, the complication of this moment is not easy to resolve. But it's also quite easy for us to understand that Lot had established himself in the city of Sodom. He had gone outside the command and the promise of God. He had gone to the south and to the east. He was away from the place of God's blessing. And then not only did he set up his tent there, but by chapter 19, he is then established as a political leader in the city. He is fully identified with them. And Lot seeks to appease his fellow citizens. And because he had made poor choices, because he had identified with Sodom in such a way, because he had gone against God, he then finds himself in this place where he's stuck. And he is in this situation where he has to make woeful, immoral choices in order to extract himself. Whatever he does will be wrong. It is a catch-22. But friends, it's a catch-22 of his own making. 
It's the tragic consequences of choosing to identify with Sodom and not with Abraham in the life of pilgrimage. And unfortunately, in our own weakness and in the experience we have of this life in which we have a willing spirit but also a weak flesh, we can too can make decisions. That is, decisions that are motivated by sight and not by faith. And in that consequence then, as decision builds upon decision, we find ourselves too, like Lot, forced into complications where it's difficult to know what is right to do. But it is the nature of a broken world. Several years ago, I listened to an episode of This American Life, and it was explaining the 2008 financial meltdown. For someone who never took a course in economics or in business, it was extremely helpful. I experienced the meltdown. I watched my retirement accounts be cut in half and lost everything, you know, that seemed like I'd worked so hard at that point in life to save for. And so I went on a quest to just understand what took place. And in an episode titled Toxie, it's walked through the steps that took place, but it was explained that there was a series of decisions made in upper institutions. Decisions made about how to combine loans and how to make money and how to make more money. There was greed and there was graft. And then those decisions filtered down and then they had consequences and there were complications that were unforeseen, no one knew. And it's the perfect example of what also happens to us in the course of life when we make poor decisions, when we're motivated by sight and not faith, when we go outside of the command and the promise of God as to where he says blessing will be, you can expect not just a few consequences, but multiplying situations that build and grow and we don't even know how to extract ourselves from it. This is where Lot is in Sodom as he offers his daughters to the crowd. It's the complications of sin. As we move through the passage, we come to the third feature of sin, though. We also see its power. The angels were able to rescue themselves from this gnarly crowd that was demanding them. And they explained to Lot that he needed to gather his family and they needed to escape. The sons-in-laws were fiancés of the daughters. They were not married yet. They thought Lot was joking. Then in the early morning, the angels urged Lot once again to get out, that he needed to go. And then in verse 16, we read Lot's response. But he lingered. It's an interesting three words, perhaps the most interesting three words in the entire passage, that Lot lingered. He knew what was about to happen. He understood. He had been told. He had encouraged his family to leave. But when it came time to exit the house, to leave behind what he owned, he lingered. He was held by it. He was attached to it. He was slow to leave. And friends, this is the fatal attraction to the things of the world that can hold us. 
even when we know something is going to kill us, even when we know something is going to destroy us, when we have the knowledge, Lot had the knowledge, he's still lingering. He's still holding to it. He's clinging to it. In fact, we learn in the passage that life's, Lot's wife was not able to let it go. Her affections for Sodom were too strong. In his teaching on Luke 8, in Luke 8, Jesus speaks to this danger. He speaks of seed that's planted in four different types of soil. And when he arrives at the third soil, it's amongst the thorns that the seed is planted. And Jesus explains that that seed matures in certain ways. It grows up, but then it's choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. And he says their fruit does not reach full maturity. This is the challenge that Lot was facing. It was the war of the spirit and the flesh. And in all of his weakness, he was lingering. And we can look at Lot and we can cast judgment upon him. Calvin wisely in his commentary encourages us not to judge him, but to see ourselves in a mirror. That we too have all of this capacity. That we too carry all of this weakness. Because God has given us so much in the world to enjoy. And he doesn't begrudge us those things to enjoy. He's filled the creation with them. But yet all of those gifts can become excessive cares. They can become riches that preoccupy us. They can become pleasures that we are addicted to. And those things pull and draw us away. And so from Lot, we learn the great dangers of the power of sin. As you work through the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, it is one of tragedy, of sadness, of Lot's compromises. But yet there's also an interesting thread that is woven in this. We've learned three things about sin and now two things about God. And our fourth point is that we see the intervention of God. In verse 16, after Lot lingers, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. Though Lot lingered, God did not leave Lot to be a victim of his own devices and desires. No, it says that the angels seized them. The word here has some force behind it and actually some violent force. And it lets us know exactly what it took to get Lot over the hump, to get him outside of the city. But they seized him and they took him by the hand and what is being communicated is that God saved Lot from himself. And friends, this is the one great hope for everyone here today. No one accepted that the one great hope is in all of our lingering, in all of our weakness, in all of our sin, in all of our folly, in all the foolishness, even when we act against our own best interest and when we go outside of the command and outside of the promise of God, that there is a God who intervenes. He takes you by the hand, 
and he takes you out. He delivers you. And Moses tells us God being merciful. It wasn't because of Lot's good behavior. It wasn't because he was a fine citizen of Sodom or even that he had tried to protect the angels, even though he was willing to throw his daughters under the bus. It was God's mercy, pure and clean and simple. And God intervenes. And this points out to us the weaknesses that beset us. But even more so, it points out to us the mercy that accompanies us. The mercy that walks with us in all of our frailty and all of our weakness. And so what's good for us is to take this language of being taken by the hand and allow it to become a prayer. Thomas Dorsey, African-American here in the United States in the 1930s, he writes a gospel hymn, Precious Lord, take my hand. Second verse, when my way grows drear, precious Lord, linger near. When my light is almost gone, hear my cry, hear my call. Hold my hand, lest I fall. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. And friends, this is the kind of piety that we have to cultivate. It's the kind of life with God that we must cultivate knowing that apart from his intervention, apart from his mercy, we will be swallowed by those devices and desires, that you don't have it in you to continue to walk out of Sodom, that the desires are too strong, the power of sin is too strong, save one thing, the grace and the mercy of God preserving you, calling on him, God, take my hand, lead me out, lead me to safety, take me to quiet places, give me your rest. This is the intervention that we see on Lot's behalf. And finally, we also see something of the triumph of God. Our passage closes in a slightly disturbing way. I didn't walk you through all of it in the reading because it's excessively long. But after his deliverance, Lot ends up in a cave in the wilderness with his two daughters. It's a sad demise. His daughters trick him into impregnating them because they had no hope of offspring. It's a horrific scene of incest and sadness. This one doesn't make the children's story Bibles. It's not for the faint of heart. It's tempting just to skip it. But in all the grime and in all the filth, in all the failures and in all the loss, there is something unexpected to pay attention to. Two sons are born. One becomes the father of the Moabite people. The other becomes the father of the Ammonites. These tribes don't come in great favor throughout the Old Testament. They're particularly hostile to God and to his people and to his purposes in the world. But in Matthew, first chapter, we have a genealogy. It's the genealogy of Jesus. And many people just skip over it thinking, what in the world am I supposed to learn from this? But in verse 5, there's a particular woman who shows up, and she's the woman whose name is Ruth. And Ruth was none other than a Moabite from that land. She has faith, and she becomes part of the tribe of Judah. And Ruth becomes one of the great, 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 great grandmothers of none other than Jesus. And friends, it's 
important for us to recognize that in all this sad demise, that in the gross and debased behaviors, that in all the compromise and weakness that's on display in Lot's life, that God doesn't forsake or lose his purposes, that grace has a manner and way of triumphing, of using even evil for its own good purposes. And this is what we see, is the triumph of God's grace and mercy for what he intends to do for his world through Abraham's family that's ultimately realized and fulfilled in Jesus. And we're called today to walk in faith, to live in that same faith of Abraham, even though we see and know more. But we experience these same pressures because we too have received promises, promises that are not yet fulfilled, Promises of a world to come that's healed and made right, where evil is destroyed, where it's brought into judgment and there's wholeness and there's well-being, that there's not the threat of sin, there's not the capacity for sin, that our hearts are fixed and they're no longer lured away by things of sight. That's the world that we're promised and we're told that it's guaranteed because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. But yet we're called to be pilgrims because we have to behold that gift to come from afar. And friends, it's necessary in that world of compromise, in that world of difficulty where we experience the power and the attraction, the allurements of sin, to know the triumph of grace and the intervention of God's mercy, that this is your one hope and this is what holds you is that your God doesn't fail at his purposes. He doesn't fail at his purposes for you, and he doesn't fail at his purposes for us. And so let's go and ask him for help in prayer. Father, as we work through difficulty and challenge, topics that are uncomfortable, we also see the majesty of your grace. As we're confronted with ourselves and our weakness, we also see a mercy that overrides all of that weakness. We thank you for all that is ours in Jesus Christ, that in his coming into the world, he's canceled out our sins, and he grants us the great promise and hope of the world to come. Strengthen our faith. Help us not to live by sight. Grant us confidence in your mercy that overrides it all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.